this is Jay from Fit Health Well, and I am with Vinci Choi, and she is a RD, which is a registered dietitian. How are you today? Good. Hi, Jay. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. No, thank you for being a guest. I'm very grateful for that. So I've had an of uh, I've been wanting to have an episode where we sit down and we can I can have a professional speak to the areas of nutrition. Uh, like myself, and this is something that you know I myself I struggled with in terms of structure. Uh, with a proper nutrition, uh, uh, you know, having a proper nutrition in my daily diet, um, knowing the right things to eat. And there's so much information out there. And we have listeners um, that need guidance in that regard. So, you know, I'm so glad to have you and that you can help us with that today. Now, the first question I'm going to have for you before we get into everything is, um, if you may, can you just please get into your background and, and, and your passion and what led you into this field of study? Sure. Um, so I was born in Hong Kong, but um, I moved to Calgary when I was very young, when I was three years old, and I've grown up in Calgary my whole life. Um, and so I guess growing up, I was always more interested in the math and sciences and um, coming from a fairly quote unquote traditional Chinese family. I think my parents sort of tried to push me to, you know, be a doctor or maybe like take over the family business or um, engineering is very popular in Calgary, but you know, I didn't want to do any of those things. Like I think I lean more towards the healthcare side of things, but um but I, you know, always had this impression at where at least high school version of Vinci had this impression that doctors were always expected to know everything. And I was just like, that sounds like too much of a burden, too stressful. And we had a family friend who was a dietitian and that's how I um, learned about the field and, you know, decided to pursue a career in dietetics. Um, and, and, um, so I went to McGill in Montreal for school and, um, there, they have an integrated dietetics program. So what that means is to become a dietitian, you need to do your um, bachelor's degree in dietetics, and then you do an internship, and then you write the um, national exam and you become a dietitian. And McGill, it was unique in that it was one of the first integrated internship programs. So while most programs you have to apply for your one-year unpaid internship after you graduate, with McGill it was integrated into the schooling. So I only had an extra half a year after the program. And then um, after I finished that, then I moved back to Calgary to kind of pursue my career. So I always say that I'm very lucky that I chose a pretty specific career right out of high school. And, you know, it's something that I've really enjoyed doing. And I found that there's just so much opportunity within dietetics. So I'm really grateful that I'm doing the work that I am today. Absolutely. So now we know with, with, with doctors, you know, they take up a residency in terms of just practice before they get that real world practice. So after uh, university and your studies and, and, and you did this, um, when did you start getting your first hands on professional experience? Um, so yeah, so it was definitely part of the internship as well. And what's really neat is they try to include a variety of experiences. So usually it's split up between clinical, um, food service, and then community nutrition. So and then in clinical, you get in hospital experience. Um, some people get rural. It really depends on where you're placed. So um, yeah, so there was lots of hands-on experience throughout the schooling. Oh, awesome. Okay, great. So now you describe yourself as a anti-diet, uh, please correct me if I pronounce it wrong, but an anti-dietitian and certified in intuition eating counselor. Can you describe what that is? 
Sure. So I'll break up those two parts. Um, so the anti-diet dietitian part. So how I'm defining diet when I say anti-diet is really um, any change in eating or lifestyle habits where weight loss is seen as the desired outcome or one of the desired outcomes. And so what that means is that, you know, in my work, I don't prescribe I don't help people lose weight essentially. Um, and, th- and that's part of, um, and you know, people who do work that's similar to what I do, or I guess I practice from an approach that's based on the health at every size framework and the principles. And it's really rooted in, you know, body positivity and fat activism. Um, sometimes you'll hear words like weight neutral, weight inclusive, non-diet. Um, why I explicitly say, say anti-diet instead of non-diet. It's that it's not just me saying that diets don't work and that's why I don't prescribe them. It's really about taking an active stance against some of the harms that have been perpetuated by dieting. Um, you know, when we're talking about disordered eating or weight stigma or even weight cycling. And, you know, we can definitely go into that if you'd like kind of throughout the episode, but, you know, just kind of a brief as to what I mean um, when I say anti-diet is that um, I am against, uh, yeah, kind of prescribing diets to help people lose weight. And then um, with being a certified intuitive eating counselor. So intuitive eating is a framework that was developed by two dietitians, um, Evelyn Tribley and Elise Resch in the 90s. Um, so they have a book that's called Intuitive Eating and the fourth edition is actually coming out next month. Um, so, and so I won't go into depth into what intuitive eating is, but um, so to become a certified intuitive eating counselor, there are um, certain things you have to do. You have to read the book and, and the workbook and take tests based on that. And you actually get to work directly with Evelyn Tribley, one of the authors. And that's what really appealed to me as part of that training. So, so yeah, so that's what being an anti-diet dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor is in, in very brief terms. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for breaking that down because it was very helpful. And I want to speak to the, um, the, the, the anti-diet aspect of it. Um, you know, because when we, when we read that and when I read that, and just what we know about diets in general, right? The reason why I would think one of the most common reason why diets fail um, is because there's there's always within any of these diets you look at, whether it's keto, you know, a, a slow amount of carbs, something's being taken away, right? And then what happens is, okay, even if there's discipline amongst that among that fixed period they result going back to their old ways or eating junk, right? Or eating more carbs and then they put the weight back on. Um, so in terms of just you um, providing this service and the anti-diet aspect of it, um, what what is it that you're offering that's so different? Because I did key in on the part where you say you don't focus on weight loss. So I'm interested in hearing like, well, what are the methods that work? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So I don't, I don't focus on weight loss because I think, um, as a culture and as a society, we're, we've really, um, sort of entangled this idea that, um, our health is tied to our weight. And we know that, you know, um, like, I think we all know someone in our life who, you know, is, uh, I, I don't know, like is, very maybe has very unhealthy habits um like maybe they don't um have very healthy eating habits um they are not very active maybe they smoke or um 
all these other things, but they are still, you know, in a thinner body. But that doesn't mean that they're healthy just because they're in a thinner body. And we also know the reverse, right? I think we also know someone who is maybe larger bodied, but um, they're doing, quote unquote, all the right things. But because they're in a larger body, um, you know, they're people just assume that they're unhealthy, you know, they'll go to the doctor for a health problem. And the doctor just says, Oh, we'll just lose weight, and you'll be fine. Um, and so, and so th- that's, that's kind of why I really try to move away from the focus on weight and towards health. And, and I think that's, um, part of the work that I do with folks as well is sort of talking about, okay, like where, what are you really trying to achieve when you have that desire to lose weight? And, you know, nobody is really aiming for like a specific number on the scale, right? It's not like you hit this magic number and all of a sudden, like the heavens will part and everything will be like miraculously good. But I think people, when people want to lose weight, what they really want is maybe, um, you know, better mobility or just feeling better, or, you know, maybe it's, yeah, just wanting to fit in, belong, be treated better. So then it's kind of looking at, okay, well, um, what are some ways that we can achieve those things, knowing that in so many cases, diets don't work and um, oftentimes do the opposite of what they say that they do. Uh, absolutely. And, and again, we're speaking with Vincy Choi, Choi, and she's a registered dietitian. Uh, this is very useful information. And the information that I got from that, right, is there's a big misconception of like you're overweight, you're unhealthy. Right. Mm-hmm. And then like, I love what, like what you said as well, too, where it's like, just because you're slim, that doesn't mean you're healthy as well. And it, it, I think you as a professional getting to the root of what the goals are um, mm-hmm. again, and I'm just re I'm summarizing it for our listeners here, um, whether it's mobility, right. Or, or um, it could be something as just as simple as conditioning um, you analyzing that, right. Or diagnosing it and then creating uh, what I would assume is a is a meal plan. Would that be correct in 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 terms of help guiding them in the right direction? Um, not necessarily. So I don't use a lot of meal plans in my practice. Okay. Um, I find that um, because yeah, like meal plans can feel really diety and restrictive, which is the opposite of what I actually want to do. So I usually um, try to meet the person where they're at in terms of like what they want to change, and so um, and so it. So it might be something as specific as, you know, kind of looking at what their eating habits are like now and, you know, talking about what are some things to add in or swap or whatever. Um, But I find oftentimes a lot of my clients say that um, working with me is almost like going to therapy sometimes because it's not that, you know, I'm giving them a meal plan and they're following it. Um, It's more that sometimes we'll kind of talk about something and it'll be something to reflect on or think about or uh, an action to experiment with. Um, so it's, it's more, uh, it's, I think it's, I don't know if it's more specific or more general, depending on how you want to think about it, but it's, but I think even a lot of the times too, it's not, um, when I work with my clients, we don't even end up talking about food because I think there are so many things in our life that relate to that affect the way that we eat, you know, whether it's like 
our schedule or, you know, our access to food or, um, you know, our, maybe sometimes our relationship to others and that kind of thing. And so, yeah, uh, you know, when you think about it, all these things can relate back to our eating and relate back to our nutrition. And that's kind of how I end up working rather than just telling people what to eat. I like that. That's uh, And now we're not getting into our question portion because we do have a question portion, but this is a common, um, and this is something, I'd, a question I'd have for you because it's something that I commonly hear as well. Um, you get a client, I'm going to just give you a small scenario. Um, mm. You get a client and they're coming to you and they're saying, you know, um, you know, Dr. Choi, like I can't, sleep. I'm not getting, I, feel, I don't feel rested enough. Right. Mm. Um, is it, is it, what am I doing wrong? Like even I get the eight hours and I wake up and, and if the alarm clock doesn't get me up, you know, I'm not up, you know, what, what how would you consult that? Mm-hmm. Well, then it, it might be kind of thinking back to like, kind of looking back to what their lifestyle habits are like. So one, I would be curious, like, how long has it been since you started, you know, not ha- like, kind of feeling this way? Has it been like your entire life or has it just been more recently? Um, you know, if it's say more recently as an example, then, you know, we might talk about what are some changes in your life that might've happened that could have triggered this, like, especially right now being in the middle of COVID-19, like, I think, you know, like, I think we, you know, it's tempting to be like, oh, like, I don't want to say that everything is because of the pandemic, but there are actually a lot more things that are because of the pandemic than, you know, we want to admit. So, um, and so I think sometimes, you know, giving ourselves some self-compassion around that and, um, you know, if it's... And in some cases, it might be food related. So yeah, are there any changes to your eating habits, maybe the types of food that you're eating, the times that you're eating? Um, and yeah, so just kind of trying to ask the right questions. And then, you know, I might leave with, you know, I'll be like, okay, well, I see that um, it might be, you might notice that it's because of the pandemic. And unfortunately, it's not something that we can change. So maybe it's really just practicing some self-compassion around that and cutting yourself a bit of slack. Um, or if it, if I feel like it's something that is changeable, like, um, you know, an eating habit or, or something to experiment with, like, I'll be like, okay, well, why don't we try for the next couple of weeks, you know, have some days where you're, you're changing the time of your eating or whatever. And then, you know, we'll kind of come back and see what that does. And then, you know, they come back and they can either say, yes, it did make a difference or no, it didn't. And if it did, you know, does this feel like something that is something you can continue and they can say yes or no, or if it didn't work, then, then we can be like, okay, well, let's see if there's something else going on here. And that's kind of the way that I tend to work with folks in a number of issues as well. Absolutely. And it sounds very, very detailed, which I would imagine it not only it helps yourself, but it helps your client in terms of behavior. Right. Mm-hmm. Because it, 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 what it sounds like, um, especially during the COVID um, period that we're all going through is, you know, our behavior patterns have changed. Right. Mm-hmm. Because for many of us, you know, myself included, I'm working from home. Mm-hmm. We're outside less. Um, our stress levels for some people may be up a bit more than they were, yeah. right? It, it's, it's something that, that is really uncharted territory. And as I speak mm-hmm. to professionals, um, they kind of have to adjust or, or shift. And I think that's my next question for you. Have, have you had to, since COVID-19, have you had to kind of like restructure your, um, the way you, uh, I would, I would assume do your consulting with your, with your clients? Mm-hmm. Um, in some ways, yes. So 
excuse me. So in some ways, yes, I did move my entire practice online. So pre-COVID, I did offer um, online consults in in addition to in-person consults. But with COVID-19, I just have moved all my consults online until further notice. Um, Here in Alberta, dietitians were part of the first stage of opening up. So um, I have kind of opened up a few in-person spots, but nobody's really taken them yet. I think because right now virtual is still the safest choice. Um, so, so that's kind of one thing that's changed in terms of the way that I work. Um, but also I think just in session, um, the issues that clients are coming up with kind of, like you said, like just changes in lifestyle, you know, having to work from home and just being a different structure. And I think, um, there is a certain level of stress for everyone. And I think some people, I, I think a lot of folks, you know, either don't notice it or, you know, they maybe they don't want to admit that they're feeling stressed. Um, but I think everybody is feeling like a certain level of stress and uncertainty for a lot of different reasons. What I'm also seeing is that um, being in a pandemic and especially with, you know, like just grocery, even grocery shopping isn't as convenient anymore. So just like access to food or, you know, staying at home and spending more time with the people that you live with than maybe you normally do. Like, I think it's also dredging up a lot of old um, traumas for people or even kind of starting some new ones. So yeah, it's a really stressful time for everyone. And and that's what I'm seeing in my practice as well is just a lot more, um, yeah, kind of mental health, psychological issues that are coming up. And of course, that can relate to the way that we end up eating in response to that as well. Absolutely. And that's a great response, actually, because there is the mental aspect of it, which I, I love to talk about um, on, you know, on this podcast as well, because it just tends to be uh, ignored. Um, I think what's really important during this time and, and even if you could provide some insight on that as well, is, you know, people, because of that depression, they eat more, right? And like what you just said, um, because we're home for an extended extended period of time, we have more access to food rather than us having to go out to lunch if we're in an office. Um, and I think that's where the the weight gain becomes a concern for most people, because you see the memes even online, and like they say after COVID, and, and, and they have, they've gained more weight. Um, but without Without that being a focus, what would you give advice for someone that's expend that's um, pretty much spending extra time at home right now, but has a concern of of not wanting to be overweight? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know you know, and it's tough because like I work with a lot of folks who are in larger bodies and they found a lot of these memes are actually quite hurtful for them because, you know, it's, it, you know, like, it's like people making jokes about body size and it's kind of like, and, and it's, you know, their friends or family members like posting these memes. And so it's kind of like, if, if this is what you think, like, if you think having a body like mine is the worst thing when we're in a pandemic where people are literally dying, like, how does that make me feel? Um, so I think, like those memes are so tough and and I totally understand that we live in a culture where yeah like being in a larger body is hard and is and is seen as a result of being lazy or unhealthy or whatever it may be but you know people are in different size bodies for a lot of different reasons and I, I think that's something to kind of reflect on um, sort of our own um, weight stigma or our own biases towards people in larger bodies. Um, but I guess in terms of people's own concerns about like 
their eating habits and their eating habits changing. Again, I think like it's going back to a little bit of that, of that self-compassion and just kind of being like, okay, like, like you said, like these are unprecedented times, you know, like things are changing. And I think, you know, even after the pandemic is over, like things are probably not going to go back to what we knew as quote unquote normal. There is going to be a quote unquote new normal. And I think as part of that adjustment, um, you know, like, there, yeah, that we're going to be doing things that we don't expect ourselves to do. And, and I think sometimes people are kind of latching on to this idea of, you know, our weight is because like, we have this idea that our weight is something that's within our control. And when so much feels out of control, it's yeah, easy to want to try to find something to control. Um, so the reality is like, um, you know, our weight, isn't really as much in our control as we think. And, and at the same time, you know, like I think if you're noticing that your eating habits are changing or something like that, like, yes, like I think, you know, it's, it's understanding that, you know, there is so much around us that's changing and it's normal to be eating in response to that. And at the same time, you know, there might be ways to kind of try to add some structure in so that, that you feel like you're more in control if that makes sense <laughs> yeah it does absolutely and I, I don't know i think there's a stigma too um there's there's a such thing and please correct me if i'm wrong but there is a such thing as healthy weight gain right because it's like you know you have uh, in terms of muscle mass when you think muscle mass and um you know you're putting on weight there but uh, i think where you where you're so essential is you know your diagnostic is really just health Right. It's, it's not a focus on, OK, well, how much were you before this all happened? And afterwards is, OK, what is working for you mentally? What direction can we get you in? Right. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and pretty much just providing that support, which I think so many people need right now. Would that be mm-hmm. correct, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So I want to get into um, just like the medical conditions. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, for example, let's just say you're dealing with someone for, with a specific medical condition. And I'll give you an example. It doesn't, it can be a practice or, or it can just be an illustration for compensation purposes. But let's just say someone's coming to you during this time um, with a specific medical condition. How would you advise them or, or assist them? Mm. Well, I, I think it would, I think it would depend on what that medical condition is and how it's related to, how it's related to food. Um, I, I don't know if let's I, do, let's do high cholesterol. Someone's high like, cholesterol. yeah, it's like, you know, uh, Vinci, I have high cholesterol. I, I can't get this thing in control. You know, yeah. what can I do about it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think first, um, I, again, I think it's kind of going back to talking about, you know, like when was this, um, cholesterol diagnosed? Do you have family members who have high cholesterol? You know, what are some things that you might have tried doing on your own to manage this cholesterol? What's worked and what hasn't worked? Um, and then, yeah, maybe I would look at what their eating habits are like and what their lifestyle habits are like. And then, sort of, and then sort of, you know, if there's things that I notice that might be contributing to high cholesterol. So for example, um, we know that foods that are high in saturated fats or trans fats um, might be ones that are contributing or like, and I think a lot of the times what I tend to look more for as well is that foods that might be missing. So, you know, choosing more high fiber foods can be helpful or especially um, foods that are high in soluble fiber, like oats or barley or apples or pears. Um, 
And then of course, like activity and that kind of stuff is helpful too. So, so then based on kind of all these different things, then, you know, I might say, you know, here are some things that I'm noticing from what you're telling me about your lifestyle habits. Is it okay for me to kind of talk about them? And then if they say yes, then, you know, I'll kind of go through like some of the things that I'm noticing. And then I might ask, you know, is there anything from the things that I'm saying that, you know, you feel like you would, you would be okay to change or you would want to try changing, for example. And then from there that, um, you know, then we can set, you know, like a goal or, or I usually kind of like to frame them experiments around it. Just kind of, again, like just for the next couple of weeks before the next time we see each other, what would it be like to, you know, swap and try having oatmeal for breakfast or, or having like a whole grain toast instead of a white toast or whatever it might be. Um, and then, yeah. And then have them kind of go back and try that. Um, I think some of the things with cholesterol too, is that um, it does take time for us, you know, after we make the lifestyle changes to actually see the numbers go down. And there are also cases like um, there is a condition called familial hypercholesterolemia, which is mostly genetic. And so like, it's not something that you can really change, like even with lifestyle habits, except with medication. So, um, so I know there's sometimes, yeah, like a stigma against taking medications. Like I think sometimes people feel like, oh, like medication is a punishment or medication is a side that sign that I'm not trying hard enough, but, you know, there are just certain conditions where you can't, you know, like eat your way better. Um, and so yes, like we can talk about what like the healthy habits are, but there's, but if medication is necessary to help you feel better then making sure that you have that tool in your toolbox as well. Absolutely. So yeah. And just recapping that, like guys, don't, don't beat yourself over, beat yourself up over it. And this is why it's important to get consultation from a professional, right? Because again, like you can, it can be discouraging if you feel like you're doing the right things and then you find out this is a, a legit medical condition where, you know, medication needs to be prescribed, right? And mm-hmm. you won't know that without, you know, having that consultation. So thank you for that. That that actually is very useful. Um, the next question I want to get into is, um, you, and maybe it's too broad of a, uh, of a question, so you can narrow it if, if need be. Um, but what are like some common mistakes that you are seeing people do in mm. terms of nutrition or health and wellness? And, and how can, how can they have better practices regarding that? Even if, mm. you, if you have some examples. Mm-hmm. Sure. So this is going to seem like a broad answer answer, but it sort of circles back to the work that I do with intuitive eating. And so what I see a lot is that, um, and, and this is nobody's fault because I feel like this is something that's kind of ingrained to, into us in the very beginning is that we've sort of lost touch with our own inner wisdom when it comes to like making choices around food. And what I mean by that is, you know, we're always, um, you know, trying to follow the next diet or the next trend or, um, or, you know, I think even people come to me and they're like, oh, just tell me what to eat. You know, I don't want to be making any decisions around our own eating and, or like, I can't trust myself around my own eating. So it's, and again, it's not anyone's fault because if you think about it, like even from the very beginning, you know, in school we're taught or even some, maybe even your parents might be like, oh, um, 
clear, clear your plate, but like you have to eat everything off your plate before you can have dessert. And like, again, it, it seems harmless, but what it, what it's actually teaching us, it's like, you know, we can't trust ourselves to say when we're full, to know when we're full. It's like, we, you know, we have to eat in a way that pleases our parents or, you know, in school, like we learn about what are healthy foods and unhealthy foods or, um, but kids think very black and white. So if you say that something is healthy, that means they're like, oh, I'm only allowed to eat this. And if something's unhealthy, that means like, I can't eat this. And if I eat something that's quote unquote unhealthy, then that's bad. And so, and so, you know, these are messages that we hear from kids to, yeah, when, when we're adults. And so um, I think a lot of the times when um, people, you know, like, I, and I think sometimes we kind of trick ourselves into thinking, oh, like this is food that we really like or whatever, or we get into a bit of an autopilot with our eating, but, you know, we're really just kind of following someone else's recommended portion sizes or someone else's recommended XYZ or whatever. And so, yeah, so sort of like a kind of a common quote unquote bad practice is that people are not tuning in into like what their own needs are. So with intuitive eating then, um, my work, so why I say it's less about telling people what to eat is because like that is really just reinforcing that idea that like your eating needs to be coming from an external source. So intuitive eating is really kind of bringing back that inner wisdom. So the stuff that I work with clients on a lot is made maybe, you know, um, retuning into their hunger and fullness cues, right? People are so used to eating at breakfast time, lunch time, dinner time that they don't even really know like what hunger or fullness feels like, or, you know, what are foods that actually make you feel satisfied? And they might not be, you know, what our culture deems as quote unquote healthy, but, you know, they're foods that actually make you feel good, um, maybe from more of like an emotional perspective. Uh, and so, um, yeah, so so I guess the work that I do is really just about helping people tune into some of those inner cues and regain kind of trust in their own bodies and their own desires, as opposed to just being like, oh, I have to eat a court. This app says that I'm only allowed to eat like X number of calories. And if I go over, that is bad and it's wrong. And it's like, our bodies are pretty resilient. And um, yeah, and I think, you know, we don't give our own bodies and our own inner wisdom, the credit that it sometimes deserves. Absolutely. I, I, I love what you just did right now. And listeners, you really have to take in, um, you know, what, what, what our RD uh, Choi just said to us in terms of the intuitive eating. Um, I am a product of that, right? Because growing up, my grandmother would always be like, you need to finish everything on your plate. And then I, I would always feel guilty of not finishing my food, right? Because it was always the stigma of there's people out there hungry and it's just bad condition. I, I would think that like even in your adult life, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it is a reconditioning of what, what you should eat. And I think your approach with the intuitive eating is just listening into your own cues because like you said um whether it's it's the way we were raised or we follow a trend that says okay you only need 16 grams of carbs and this much and then it, it just becomes overwhelming i'm like look i just want to eat i want to know the right things to eat and what time and i and i like that aspect of it because what it allows you to do is there's guidance but it's gentle guidance on listening to your own body is that correct the correct yeah, assessment absolutely. right yeah exactly um because yeah i think like one of the criticism sometimes i hear of intuitive eating is like well you know like what if a person's cues are like internal cues are messed up because they have a certain medical condition or they're on medications where you can't really trust their cues. Um, and 
and and I think it's important to remember that it's um, it's always a combination of both. Like we're not throwing out the baby with the bathwater here. Like I think there is value in like the science of nutrition. Like I wouldn't be a dietitian if I didn't see a value in that, right? But I think you know some t- like, but I think it's we have to kind of find that happy medium between the two of being like, okay, like, you know, we've relied on this, like follow this diet or follow this program or follow these recommended serving sizes for too long. That is kind of like, instead, the way that I work with folks is I'm kind of like, okay, well, this is what um, the evidence says, but instead of using that as an endpoint of like, this is what you're supposed to do. It's kind of like, okay, here's where we can start. Um, and that, but also kind of bringing in like your internal wisdom, and your life experience to say, well, how is this going to fit into your life? And again, you know, if it works exactly, okay. If it doesn't work exactly, but you sort of find your own way to work with it and it just works with your body, that's okay too. And I think um, it's kind of the marriage between um, your listening to your inner wisdom and also um, just, I guess, massaging it with that external knowledge um, that we have from, you know, science and research. Absolutely. I, I really like that approach. And I think uh, that contributes to why a lot of diets fail, right? Just because you, uh, at times you just don't feel like you're in control or if it's, if it's just a, a way of living that you're, you haven't acclimated to, um, you can tend to, to, to just go off. So thank you so much. That was very detailed in terms of the bad practices, the good. And, and I apologize if this is too broad, but like, we know like, okay, you should drink more water and things like that. So the flip side of that is just, or speaking to just the average person, um, what are, what are some good practices, uh, to just stay on top of it and and just live a healthy life? Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, so I would like, so, you know, I would say like, sometimes the reverse of that is the reverse of not (laughs) attuning to your inner cues is kind of start giving yourself opportunities to, um, yeah, kind of repractice your inner cues. So, um, how I do that often with folks is, um, yes, intuitive eating, but also mindfulness and mindful eating within intuitive eating. Um, and so people think of like mindful eating as, I don't know, sometimes they think of it as like hippy dippy woo woo, or, oh, it just means that I like stop eating and taste my food very well. And then I, um, and then, you know, then I'll just eat less or then I'll, it'll help me lose weight or whatever it is. So the way that I describe, um, mindful eating to folks is that, well, if we think of the definition of mindfulness, how mindfulness is defined is, um, purposeful attention, um, or awareness in the present moment without judgment. So that's what mindfulness means. And so mindful eating is just that taking that, definition of mindfulness and bringing it to the experience of eating. So how I get folks to kind of practice mindfulness or mindful eating, um, I have my four things. So one is press pause and be present, especially with eating like be, and I, and it makes sense because like, um, eating is one of those things that like we tend to do on autopilot because, um, you know, if, and it's just the way that our brains work, right? Like if we, if there weren't things that we could do on autopilot and we had to like be attentive and like relearn how to do everything every single day, then we wouldn't ever get anything done. Um, but I think sometimes, um, kind of, I guess, challenging yourself to, you know, really 
um, use your senses in your eating and just be present, it really allows you to engage with the experience of eating in a different way. So you might notice like, oh, like, um, maybe I need more food or less food before I feel full or, oh, like this is how my food actually tastes or, oh, like, you know, like this is the texture of the food that I'm eating. So, um, just really allowing yourself to press pause and be in the present moment and kind of not just run around on autopilot all the time. It really just allows you to help engage in the eating experience in a different way. Um, so the next thing I kind of say is um, curiosity, not judgment. So I think for us, it's really easy to judge ourselves, right? Like we, we kind of say like, oh, like I'm being bad for eating this or, um, I don't know, or like, oh, I chose a salad, like I'm so good, like that's still a form of judgment. Um, and so it's kind of thinking like, oh, that's, you know, instead of saying that you're bad, you know, it's kind of noticing these feelings come up, like, why do I feel bad for having a piece of chocolate or, or, you know, why do I choose to have a piece of chocolate if I know that it's going to make me feel bad in some ways? And so kind of approaching that with curiosity, instead of judging yourself and beating yourself up. Um, three is slowing, not sensing. So, or yeah, sensing, not slowing. Sorry, I got that in reverse. So a lot of times when people do mindful eating or practice mindfulness, they just think of, oh, that it's just about slowing down, but they don't really know why that they're doing it. And really the slowing down is um, to allow yourself to really engage your sense engage your senses and really noticing like, what does the food look like? What does it smell like? What does it taste like? What is the texture, the temperature? Um, what are the thoughts and feelings that come up when I eat this food? And that's where the slowing down comes in. Some people find that when they practice mindful eating over time, that um, they might not need to slow down as much to engage their senses. And that's fine. Um, but again, it's just kind of emphasis on why we're slowing down instead of just like slowing down for the purposes of slowing down. And then the last thing that I tell people about mindfulness and mindful eating is it's about practice, not perfection. And this is something that comes with um, eating as well. You know, we think of, oh, like we have to eat right or like find the right foods or the perfect diet or whatever. And again, when we're talking about foods or eating being right or wrong, that's a judgment that's taking away from the spirit of mindful eating. And so mindful eating is really about um, it being a practice and there's no kind of um, right or wrong way to do it, so to speak. But it's really just about, like I said earlier, um, engaging in the eating experience in a different way and kind of seeing what comes out out of that. Absolutely. I love the fourth part of the, um, the, the mindfulness, right? It's the practice. Uh, I, what, I can't speak for everybody else, but what I found with myself is it, by having stability, you know, getting up in the morning and having that glass of water um, as soon as I wake up, you know, feeling really good and, and hydrating myself before I go to bed. Just something as simple as that, really, really basic, um, was just really something that helped me in terms of my nutrition, right? And I, and, mm-hmm. and, um, and again, just me kind of keying in, no one told me to do that. It, it was just something that I felt that, that was needed. And, um, you know, when you have that kind of guidance, right, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have, you know, I know we spoke a lot towards uh, the uh, behavior aspect of it, right, and, 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 and the intuitive eating and the mindfulness, judgment and things like that. Um, 
if someone just coming to you and they're just like, look, I do not know. I, uh, give me some healthy snack ideas late night, right? Because even for myself as well, late night cravings, you know, you don't want to grab a bag of chips and you don't want. Um, and so what I would do is I, I would um, mix that out and make a, a bag of like carrots with some celery in it. Um, and, and not that I, that I would feel guilty for like, even if I did have a piece of chocolate, um, but you know, there are people out there that are looking for like little snacks in between that can kind of help them through the day. Do you have any recommendations for that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So again, like my answer is going to be kind of long. I hope that's okay. Um, so I would kind of help people kind of attune to where that snacking is coming from, um, where that need for snacking is coming from. I think a lot of people think of themselves as, you know, emotional eaters or they feel guilty because they're eating quote unquote more than they actually need. But what I see a lot in my practice is that people might not be eating enough. And again, I think that goes back to, you know, we, we're not necessarily thinking about it, but, you know, we're always trying, I think there's pressure from our culture to, you know, like always try to be eating as little as possible so that, you know, our bodies can be, you know, as thin or, um, as I guess, quote unquote fit as, as possible. And so, um, a lot of people who say that they struggle with emotional eating, what I often see is that they're not eating enough. And so I'll just kind of give you an example of what that might look like. And I wonder if some of your listeners are going to hear themselves in this. So one of the, one of the red, one of my red flags, um, I hear from a lot of folks is they say, Oh, I'm so good with eating during the day, but like, then I just like, go crazy at night or um, then I just kind of like I'm out of control at nighttime. And so, you know, when someone says I'm such a good eater during the day, like that already cues me as like, that might be a sign that you're not eating enough during the day because you're quote unquote trying to be good. And we've associated eating less with being good. Um, And so I, I would say for a lot of folks, like most people tend to get hungry about every three to four hours. And, um, And so for most folks, that will mean um, the three meals a day plus snacks in between. And I find that like lunch and supper, like, you you know, usually breakfast and lunch, like there might be that three to four hour gap, but then lunch for a lot of people is at noon and then they're not having supper until six or seven. So it makes sense that like, you'll be hungry, like in the, in the middle of the afternoon to like fit that snack in there. Or like if it's in your hat, or if you do tend to eat dinner a bit earlier, but you're not going to bed until like 10 or 11, then again, it makes sense that you're hungry at night. So sometimes it's even just giving yourself permission to have something between the meals because a lot of people need more than just the three meals a day. Um, and then, and, and then, so, and so then what I often talk about too, is like, um, meals and snacks that kind of feel more satisfying. Um, and then also, and so from a physical perspective, the most satisfying nutrients are going to be, um, protein, fat, and fiber. So, you know, if you're looking at your meals, I try to get people to at least include a minimum of like a vegetable or a fruit, um, a, grainy or starchy food because we need those carbs for energy. And often if we're choosing whole grains or root vegetables, you're going to get some fiber in there, plus the fiber in the vegetables and fruit. And then, yeah, something with protein, whether it's like a lean meat or some dairy or beans or legumes, whatever, um, because the protein and the fat is what's going to kind of 
keep us feeling, it's going to help us slow down our digestion, help us feeling fuller for longer. And it also keeps that sugar from just like releasing into our bloodstream and then coming back down again. It kind of gives you that slow release. You get that sustained energy throughout the day as well. Um, obviously like snacks are not meals. So you don't need those like three components together. But when you think about it, a lot of our snack foods tend to be our carby foods, right? Like it's the pretzels, it's the granola bars, chips, even healthy snacks like fruit or whatever. It's still mostly carbs. So you're getting that energy, but you're not always getting something that gives you that staying power. So I usually tell people, try to combine your carby snack with something that has um, a protein with in it. And a lot of the times our protein rich foods tend to be the ones that have the fat along with it, right? So it might be having that apple with um, some, I don't know, some peanut butter or crackers and cheese or um, I don't know, yogurt with some fruit or, 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 you know, just as some examples or veggies with a little bit of hummus and a hard boiled egg or whatever it might be. Um, so that can help take care of the physical hunger. But like I said, that emotional hunger as well, you know, like we attach memories sometimes or just like, um, I don't know, like just kind of like feel good emotions with certain foods. So if like, yeah, having a piece of chocolate or a dessert at the end of the day is just you know, if you grew up always eating dessert, like it makes sense that that's just kind of one way to unwind. Or I think we just associate things like chocolate and wine with kind of that like feel good treat sort of idea. And so, yeah, sometimes our snacks are going to include foods that aren't like super, I don't know, like nutrient dense or whatever. But, you know, in, in addition to meeting our physical needs, I really believe that our nutrition needs to meet our psychological needs as well. Um, so, um, yeah, so I even had a client recently who um, she actually separates those categories. Like she says, like, I have like my physical snacks and then I also have my psychological snacks. And, you know, like that's kind of how she does it. But for some people, like those two things can be the same um, that, you know, maybe you have like a favorite flavor of like yogurt or something. So that, um, you know, like, yes, you're getting like the protein and some of the healthy fats and, and some carbohydrate in there. But also like, if it's like a flavor that you really like, like they have those fancy like dessert yogurts out mm-hmm. now, then, you know, then you can meet both of that physical and psychological need. Mm-hmm. I like that. And that was a great takeaway, actually. Um, you identified something that I, not only did I just, um, it just registered and clicked. Um, I, I hopefully it clicked for you guys, the listeners, is a lot of our snacks are are carb heavy, right? Because we go chips and, you know, we go uh, muffin and, and things like that. And what I got from that, and you are literally educating me, <laughs> which is, this is a gift of having this podcast because I'm constantly educated and I love it, is to just start incorporating more of the proteins, like you said, and, and the fats. And um, again, as I want you guys, as you're listening to this, to have your own takeaways as to what you can create, right? Because if what I'm thinking as you tell me that is, okay, um, have the apple with the peanut butter, right? Slice, slice, slice that up. And then that way I'm, I'm feeling a little bit more full. And what I like to make personally are the, uh, I like to make these little, um, 
these oat bowls and I use steel mm-hmm. grain oats, right? And I put blueberries inside of them and then I add nuts to it. Just making sure that I have those components that not only mm-hmm. will keep me full, um, but I'm also getting the, the proper amount of nutrition. So if anyone had questions in regards to snacks, um, just even if you have to go back and re-listen to what she just said, she's dropping gems, gems guys. So <laughs> make sure you're taking this stuff in. Um, thank you so much. And the, the, so now we get into the, the final portion. I want to get into the questions. So we have a Facebook group again for, for the listeners that haven't subscribed yet and, are, and is willing to subscribe. Fit Health Well. We're on Facebook. We have a Facebook group and I want to get into some of the questions that people from my group had there. And one of the first questions as I pull this up, um, this is from Ernest and, um, I tried to, uh, I'm going to read it to you verbatim as he wrote it. So uh, uh, pardon with me if it's a bit confusing because I tried to construct it, but you let me know what you get out of this. So he says, this is from Ernest Johnson. He says, I, um, I have come as I have aged to not know what that, and I pardon the language, but what the hell I'm doing on my diet. So how would the RD recommend a middle-aged active person to eat who is vegetarian, but otherwise has lost their dietary weight? Does that make mm. that, does that question yeah, make sense? Yeah. Okay. And, so, and I, and thank you, Ernest, for this great question. And this is a question that I actually hear from a lot of folks that come into my practice is that I think a lot of folks feel like, yeah, I've just been eating this way, but I'm not really sure or like confident that what I'm doing is right or wrong. Um, so Ernest, like if it's accessible to you, I would highly recommend like seeing if there is a dietitian or someone in your area um, to kind of work with. And and so what the dietitian can help you do, or at least like what I would do if, if Ernest kind of came into my practice is I'd be like, okay, great. Well, walk me through what a typical day might look like in terms of what you eat. And I might even ask him, um, you know, is there anything in particular that that's um, bringing this question up for you? You know, like, maybe he's like wondering about this because he's hit like a milestone birthday or, or maybe he's noticed um, a change in his energy levels or who knows what is kind of spurring this question too. Cause I think that kind of gives us a lot of clues as to kind of what's going on. And um, in some cases, like it, after I kind of get a sense of like where this question is coming from, maybe what his goals for the future are, and then what his eating and lifestyle habits are like, I think for a lot of folks, again, like it's a, like not giving their own inner wisdom enough credit. Some with a lot of folks, I kind of say, you know, like things look pretty good. Like if you wanted to nitpick and be a bit like perfectionist about the diet, you know, maybe there are some tweaks that we can make here and there, but I find that a lot of folks are probably doing a lot better than they think. Um, of course, if something like major sticks out for me, then I would say, then, you know, that would be something that I would address, but yeah, it's definitely hard to um, answer this question in broad terms. So I would highly recommend Ernest, if you can find a dietitian in your area to work with um, that, and just to kind of give, you know, your eating habits a once over and maybe some little tweaks, that's what I would recommend. Awesome. Now, my second question, uh, now I have to, so this will be the second user question that we have in our group. Yeah. Her, her name is Michelle Dunn, and she's from London, Ontario, in Canada. And she asked, um, 
she says, ask them what they think of the new NOM diet, the N-O-O-M, yeah. that I keep seeing everywhere. It basically tells us to calorie count and eat low-density, high-water-content foods. So mm-hmm. what, is, what, is, what do you make of that? Yeah, yeah. So Noom is, um, I, I think it's an app that's out there um, that that, you know, kind of sort, that sort of promotes itself as quote unquote, not a diet, but, you know, even Michelle has kind of picked up like, yeah, it's telling me to count calories and also eat like low, what did she say? Like low, low density, uh, yeah, yeah, low density, high water content foods. Yeah. Low density, high water content foods. So the idea is that it's like filling you up with, um, less or more volume and fewer calories, that kind of thing. So I, you know, it sounds like Michelle's kind of catching on, like this is a diet, even though Noom is advertising itself as not a diet. Um, and, and I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier as a, in terms of like, why do diets fail? Um, is because, yeah, like oftentimes it's really superimposing a lifestyle that's not necessarily your own. Like, you know, maybe some aspects of it are things that fit into your lifestyle, but like a lot of the times inevitably, like we, there is going to be food that comes into our life that is going to be higher calorie or, um, you know, and, and not foods that Noom necessarily quote unquote recommends. And I think another thing too, as to why do diets fail is that is our physiology. So um, I know some people who are like very faithful to their diets, but they still regain their weight down the road because our, our bodies um, sense any calorie or energy deficit as a form of um, famine, right? Like our, our bodies can't tell the difference when like we're actually in a famine versus like when we're sort of self-imposing a famine. And so our bodies don't want to die. And so what it does to try to survive is it actually um, s- responds to this deprivation by slowing down our um, metabolism and um also like kind of changing our hunger hormones so that we actually have more of an appetite. And so, and so that's kind of why quote unquote diets fail too, is that because our bodies see dieting as a form of starvation, as a form of famine, and our bodies are like, whoa, I'm not going to starve myself to death. And so it actually um, kind of changes your biology so that even if you're sticking to your diet quote unquote perfectly, some people still experience weight gain or not some, the majority of people still experience weight gain. And they say that it's just harder and gets harder and harder to keep the weight off or to lose more weight because of our own biology. Our bodies are yeah, trying to keep ourselves from starving to death. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Like that was very, um, thank you for filtering the questions from our group. <laughs> that was very helpful. Um, and just this whole conversation, conversation in its entirety, um, has been very helpful. And guys, you know, as you listen to this, you know, and when we speak of health and wellness, you know, it's not only just the physical, right? It's our behavior and our common practices. And, um, you know, having Vinci or Choi on today to speak to those is, is, is very, very helpful. So I want to get into your book, uh, you, The Mindful Eating Workbook. Yeah. Um, that's, that's something that you have on your website and I'm, we're going to give you all that information. Um, just give us a brief description of what's that about and anyone who wants to purchase it, um, you know, let us know what, what, what the book is about. 
Yeah. So the mindful eating workbook, um, it touches on some of like the benefits of mindfulness and mindful eating. So those four principles that I shared earlier, that comes from the mindful eating workbook. And it's just, yeah, if you're interested in learning more about mindful eating and trying it for yourself. Um, so the book is full of like, kind of exercises and journaling exercises that you can fill in as you try a few exercises that have to do with mindful eating. And um, like I said earlier, it's just a way to help you engage with eating in a different way. To And so that, yeah, like when you're curious about it, it's kind of like, whoa, like I'm finding some of these thi things that are different about my eating. And so from there, then it gives you that space to respond to kind of those new sensations or those new things that you're learning about yourself, about your eating habits in a different way. Um, so I also have a free course on my website. It's the intro to mindful eating and meditation or meditation and mindful eating. Um, and it includes recordings of some of the meditations from the mindful eating workbook and exercises and excerpts from the mindful eating workbook. So if you're not sure whether you you want to order the book, I would go to vinchitroy.com slash meditation or meditation. See, I don't even remember my own URLs. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, you can sign up for the course and you'll get a preview of the book that way. Or if you already own the book, then you can um, complement that with recordings of the meditations that are in there. Awesome. And guys, for, for my religious listeners that are listening to this as well, we, we had episode previous episode on meditation as well. It was part of our yoga episode. Um, so again, this is a lot of useful information. Um, last thing before we get out of here and we start sharing how people can contact you, um, just some overall advice for the public. Uh, I would say, especially during this time, is it anything that you could tell people that they'd find useful? Oh, yeah. Well, I think, you know, one of the things that we talked about earlier is that like COVID-19 or this pandemic has just been a tough time, a stressful time for a lot of people in a lot of different ways. So really like cut yourself some slack if you're doing things that are different from normal or things that are different from anything that you've ever done before, because yeah, these are unprecedented unprecedented times. And the vast majority of us have never lived through a pandemic before, let alone one of this size. Um, one of the things that I heard recently that I thought was very wise was um, one person had sort of asked on another podcast that I listened to, they were like, you know, like, we're a few months into this, like, shouldn't I be, you know, more settled into my new normal by now? And um, the person who answered the question said that, actually, like now that things are starting to reopen, and especially since it's very contentious, and a lot of people think that it's too soon, like it makes sense that right now you might even be feeling more stressed and uncertain than you did in the beginning, because like, there are, you know, these new changes that are happening. So I'm um, really kind of practicing self compassion and cutting yourself some slack and knowing that, you know, we're still trying to figure things out and you're not alone in feeling this way. Um, and I think, you know, the other piece too is um, trusting your inner wisdom. You know, I think it's very easy to be like, oh, well, I'm not eating right according to this, or I really should be watching my portion sizes or whatever it might be. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of those shoulds come from wanting a sense of control in a time where things feel out of control. But, you know, like your body's got your back. Um, your body is your back. So, um, so I think, you know, kind of trusting that and being kind to your body, respecting your inner wisdom, um, you're probably doing a lot better than you think. 
Absolutely. And on that note, definitely uh, just summarizing the discussion, everybody, um, you know, again, what, I, what I've learned today and I hope you guys learned today as well is don't be too hard on yourself. I love the mindful uh, eating aspect of it, uh, kind of pushing judgment to a side. Uh, you're doing better than you think you are. This is the things that that, that I've that I've gotten from Vincia Choi as as she discussed this with me. And you know, again, if you need more a, a, a bit more, um, you know, uh, help and guidelines, please reach out to a uh, to your local nutrition nutritionist, or you can reach out to her as well because you are taking um online you are taking online clients, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you enjoyed the discussion and you felt her feedback, we're going to get that to you. And we're going to, I want to usher you towards her because again, I was very impressed with, with just her work, um, which is why I reached out to her. So yeah, no problem. And thank you for coming. So what I'm going to do first is you can reach out to her on, on, she has a Facebook page. Again, it's Vinci Choi. I'll spell that out for you. V I N C C I. Choi, but it's spelled T-S-U-I and then R-D. And then her website, again, is vincichoi.com and that's V-I-N-C-C-I-T-S-U-I and that's vincichoi.com. And then they continue emails. I would, I would assume this is Vinci, uh, Vinci, V-I-N-C-C-I at v, uh, vincichoi.com and that's V-I-N-C-C-I-T-S-U-I. And then finally, she also has Instagram, guys. If you'd like to get on her Instagram and just check her out or shoot her a message, um, she's Vinci RD, and that's V-I-N-C-C-I-R-D. That's her Instagram. Did I leave anything out? No, that's it. Yeah, I think, yeah, um, okay. it's VinciChoi.com. I'm so sorry my name is not spelled how it's pronounced. Don't, don't apologize <laughs> for that. It's okay. It is my responsibility no, to that's always okay. ask for the, yeah, yeah, to, ask for to make sure yeah. it's accurate in the correct pronunciation. Yeah, but so and, yeah, we'll have yeah, so all I'll that. spell it. Yeah, exactly. And you'll probably have it in your show notes, but it's V-I-N-C-C-I-T-S-U-I dot com. And I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at Vinci R-D. So it's V-I-N-C-C-I-R-D. Awesome. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to have you. I, I'm so grateful for that. There was a lot of feedback that um, I felt that was very useful for our listeners. And again, if you guys want to reach out to her, she is taking online consultations. Uh, this is, we are, as we approach toward season two of our show, we are doing a lot of, because of COVID-19, we are doing a lot of Zoom. So we will have a YouTube option available to you guys as well. Um, but again, if you want a little bit more private consultation, you can reach out to her at the information we provided and that we will provide um, in the coming episode. So again, thank you so much, uh, Vinci Choi. I really appreciate your your time and, and, and your effort, and I'm grateful for it. And again, if you want to follow the show, guys, you can follow the show to check out the website at fithealthwell.com. And then in addition to that, if you'd like to follow us on IG, it's fit.health.well. And then also the Facebook uh, page and the Facebook group is Fit Health Well. And then if you'd like to shoot us an email, it's fithealthwell at gmail.com. Again, thank you so much, guys, for tuning in to another great episode. And we appreciate it. And we'll see you on the next one.